And some of you, that's been the only thing you've been able to focus on. You thought, why did that guy that got up and told me thanks for coming, why did he take a suitcase up on stage and then, then just leave it? That's what my son asked me. I sat down and he was like, Dad, why did you leave the suitcase? I was like, well, you, you just have to wait to the lesson. And he said, but I'm helping in kids' praise. I was like, well, you're lost. Sorry. Hey, aren't you glad you didn't go to kids' praise? You get to know what's in the suitcase. Maybe. We'll have to wait and... We'll have to wait and find out. Hey, we're talking about the grand event. It's something that God is doing in our life because his divine power has given us everything we need to live a godly life. I mean, just think about this scripture for a minute. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. God has given us, say, what's the bold word? Say it loud. Everything. everything. He has given us everything we need for living a godly life. And so here's what that takes off the table. That takes off the table, you and I being able to say, I just can't do it. I can't live a godly life because, and then we just start throwing out all of our excuses because this verse just takes that away. There are no excuses. There is nothing else lacking that we need to go searching for, that it's hidden somewhere. God has given us everything that we need for living a godly life. It truly is possible. It is. And it is that grand event that we are trying to discover here in our lives. Because it's God's great expectation for you. God's great expectation for your life is that you will live the grand event. That you will live it out as a life of discipleship. That you will follow after Jesus in a way that you'll be so close to him that you'll begin to resemble him. Have you noticed how that couples, as they're married for a longer amount of time, they begin to look more and more like each other? Have you noticed that? Now, some of you right now are looking at your spouse. I see you. You're looking at your spouse and you're saying, boy, I hope that's not the case with us. Right? I mean, some of you thought that. I mean, you looked over and thought, boy, I hope Chris isn't talking about us. I, I, I just don't want to look. But that's what happens. You, you stay with somebody long enough. It's amazing how you begin to look like them and you begin to act like them. You begin to finish sentences. You guys do that, right? You finish one another's sentences at home, in the car, at the restaurant. It's because you spend time in somebody else's presence. You begin to learn how they tick. You begin to learn what they like. You learn their dislikes. You, you learn what it is that makes them happy. You know what it is that makes them cry. As you spend time with other person, you, you almost become that other person. And that's the expectation. It's the expectation that God has for us. And so that's why we've been learning that discipleship is active. It's not passive. It's not just something that happens to us. There has to be a living with Jesus that's involved. There has to be a, a setting down with him. There has to be a, a listening to him, a following him that we experience. God has given us everything that we need, but he doesn't just zap us into great pillars of discipleship. Instead, it's an active process that we go through where we are intentional in the way in which we live our lives, intentional in the way in which we follow and the good news is you don't do this by yourself because God wants us to be able to grow as disciples in community. 
And so it's not just something that has to occur by yourself at your house. It's not something that you have to go off to college. You have to travel around the world. You have to go find yourself in some way in order to be a disciple. Instead, it's communal. It's not solitary. And so that's why we get together at times like this where we come and encourage one another. It's why we spend time in our Bible studies. It's, time, it's why we get together with our different groups and are able to share in this discipleship process together. Because it's not good for man to be alone. We learned that back in Genesis, right? And it continues on until this day. Everything when it comes to our discipleship is to be done together. It's a communal process. But for, for us to be able to grow in our discipleship, we have to actually believe that we can be disciples goes back to that first idea that I brought up, how that God has given us everything that we need, and sometimes we want to throw out the excuse card, but discipleship has to be believed before it can be lived, where you and I actually have to believe that, you know what, we can follow in the footsteps of Jesus. We can be that guy that when he builds his house, he builds it on the rock and not on the sand. And, and when the rains came down and the floods go up, the house on the rock is going to stand firm. That can be our house. That can be our family. That can be our purity. That can be our value system, our ethic. That can be who and what we are. Because Jesus said we could follow him. And if he called us to follow him, he truly believed that we could be like him. So you have to believe it. And so what we're doing, we're walking through a section in 2 Peter. If you haven't opened up there already, I encourage you to do so. It's near the back of your Bible. It's the second letter that we have that Peter wrote to churches, and he, he writes, and he's going to tell them, listen, because God has given you everything you need to live a godly life, he says, I want you to do some adding in your life. And he starts out with faith, and he says, I want you to add to your faith, and I want you to add, I want you to add goodness. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, how that that's not going around doing more good things, but instead that talks about who you are as an inner person, who you are deep in your soul. You're not just going about doing good deeds, but you are a good man. You are a good woman. And that goodness comes from the godness that should be living inside of you. He says, then add to your, add to your faith and add to your goodness knowledge. And we talked last week how that it's not about being able to pass a test. It's not about what you know, but it is who you know. It is an experiential knowledge where because you have followed in the footsteps of Jesus, because you have listened to his teachings, because you have experienced his healing in your life firsthand, you have a knowledge that gets more and more specific. It gets more and more certain in your life where you're able to say, you know what, I know that there is a God and I know that Jesus Christ is his only begotten son. And I know that there is a spirit that indwells the believers, that empowers them to live a life that honors God daily. You see, I know. I don't just know about it. I haven't just heard. I haven't just memorized some verse. But I actually know. So, so add to your faith, goodness, and a goodness knowledge. And we're going we're gonna to hit another one today. He says, I want you to add self-control. Now, this one might be one of the most difficult for all of us. We hear about goodness and we're like, oh, okay, that sounds all right. I don't mind doing that. I could, I'd like to have a little bit more goodness in my life. And we talk about knowledge and we kind of think, yeah, I'd like to, I'd like to know more. I'd like to, I'd like to know Jesus better. That sounds good. And, 
And, and those are things that you add, that you, you look at, and it's like, yeah, that just makes me a better person. And man, it, it makes it better in my neighborhood. And, and people look at me and say, oh man, look, that is just such a good person. And they know so much about the Lord. And, and then we get to this one, the idea of self-control. And I have to think that Peter, as he's writing, he gets this big smile on his face. And maybe he even, I don't know, he, he pulled out whatever um, bold pen he could use, right? And he just puts it in big letters. Want to add to your knowledge, self-control. Because if there is a guy in the New Testament that lacked self-control, Peter's the dude, Right? I mean, think about what you perhaps know about Peter, some of the things that, that you have learned about him, how that, how that he was, was very brash. He, he spoke up oftentimes with, without thinking. I love, there's this, there's this scene painted in Scripture where Jesus goes up onto a mountain with Peter, James, and John, and there on the mountain, he reveals his glory to those disciples that were with him. And he has a conversation with his father. Not only are Peter, James, and John, and Jesus there, but Matthew and Elijah show up on the mountain as well. These heroes of faith, long gone from their walk on earth. And Peter says, hey, I know, let's build everybody a house. And then to the text, <laughs> the gospel writer says, he did not know what he was saying. <laughs> I love that. It's like, let's just name it. Let's just throw Peter under the bus right here in the gospel. I mean, we're just going to throw him under the bus. He says, let's just build everybody a house. He had no idea what he was saying, but he wanted to say something. It was like, it's just coming out. Do you know people like that in your life? That, that they just say things and you look at them. It's like, why, why did you say that? Where did that come from? And they're like, I don't know, but I wanted to say it. I just wanted to say it. That's what Peter did. There's another moment. Read about this in Matthew chapter 16. Jesus asks the disciples, he says, um, who does everybody think that I am? And they start going through this list of all these different prophets that people have said Jesus uh, reminded them of, or maybe he was some kind of reincarnation of. And Jesus looks at those who had followed with him and ate, eaten with him and, and talked with him and, and seen him do life. He said, all right, but who do you guys think that I am? And here goes Peter, first and foremost, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is like, all right. He says, well done, Simon. Another name that Peter was known by. He says, well done. He says, because this is not something that, that flesh and blood that, that you picked up from, from other men or women walking around. This is something that you got. This is knowledge that you have from my father because you've been with me. And right after that, Jesus begins to say, now listen. I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to be turned over to the chief priest. And I'm going to be crucified. And Peter jumps up again and he says, hey, Jesus, can I, can I talk with you over here by the rock? Can we go over here by this rock and talk for a minute? Peter and Jesus go off to themselves and Peter says, this can never happen to you. Can't happen to you. He's taking a moment to, to show his heart. He's taking a moment to show how much Jesus means to him. He's showing Jesus, listen, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but I think that you're mistaken. Now, you might expect Jesus to look at him and say, oh, I appreciate your concern, Peter. But, but no, no, no. Jesus looks at him and says, Satan, why don't you just go away? And Peter's like, what, what do you mean, Satan? I, I just said that you were the Son of God. And, and, and now I'm telling you that you can't do what the Son of God is supposed to do. And 
You can just see inside of Peter that it's welling up with him that he just doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to do. It continues on into the Gospel of John. They're at the table there. There has been this sharing of Passover. Jesus rises up and he's going to wash the disciples' feet. Maybe you remember this story as Jesus goes around from disciple to disciple and he's doing the work of a servant and everybody's kind of looking, wondering what it is that's going on. And he gets to Peter and what does Peter say? Nope, not going to wash my feet, Lord. Not going to let you do it. Jesus says, well, unless you allow me to wash your feet, you have no part of me. So then Peter says, well, don't just wash my feet. Wash all of me. Let's, let's just, just, just wash me all, Lord. Come on, just, just do that. He always, he was over the top. Always he was blurting out. Always it seemed like he never could control what? Self. Still later that night, Jesus would again talk about the things that were going to be happening to him. This time Peter pledges that he will follow Jesus no matter if it leads to his own death. Now remember, earlier he has said, Jesus, you can't go to the cross. This is not going to happen. And he is rebuked. This time, he goes to Jesus and says, all right, you're going to the cross. We're all going to go with you. Who's with me, guys? And Jesus looks at Peter. And he says, truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows three times, you're going to deny me. Just this up and down with Peter. Don't do it, Lord. Let me go with you, Lord. Get behind me, Satan. You're going to deny me. And Peter, all these impulses are coming up. He's wondering, what, what is going on with me? I never can seem to say the right thing. I, I, I try to do the right thing. I, I, try to, I try to do what I think Jesus wants. And one minute he, he calls me Satan. The next minute he says that I'm going to deny him. I tell him to stop and he gets on to me. I say, hey, let's all go in and, and join you. And, and he gets on to me. You fast forward and Jesus has been taken into trial. Scripture says that the disciples scatter, but there is one that stays close and it's Peter. And he stays just on the outside watching the things that are taking place, taking it all in, trying to support his Lord if just from a distance. And there are individuals that begin to come to him and they recognize him. That they realize, wait a minute, you've been with Jesus. And not once, but, and not twice, but three times. When confronted about who he is, when confronted about where he's been, when confronted about where his allegiances lie, he denies and he denies and he denies. And that rooster crows. And he just breaks. He's a broken man. Scripture says that he goes out and he just weeps bitterly. I don't know if you've ever felt like him. I don't know if you've ever had those moments where you have, you felt like you were doing the right thing. You felt like you put yourself in the right situation. But the words that you said, the no matter how well-meaning the action that you took, no matter what you thought was going to be the end result, things just, things just didn't work. And you thought, you know what, I'm, just, I'm trying to do too much. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said that in your life? And maybe, maybe somebody else has told you. Maybe, maybe you've got a spouse. Maybe you've got a, a mother or father that's just said, you know what, you're just trying to do too much. You're just trying to do too many things. And it just seems like no matter what you try, nothing ever works out. 
You're always, seems like that, that yourself is just winning out over everything else. You shout when you should be quiet. You stand up when you sit down. You sit down when you should stand up. There's this anger issue that you seem to oftentimes be dealing with. There's that same temptation that over and over and over again you give into it. The language that you use in certain situations in your life that's not God-honoring. The choices that you've made when it comes to your relationships, not where God would have you to be. And you look at yourself and you wonder, what is going on? Because I'm trying to experience the grand event. And I'm trying to experience what it is that Jesus has called me to. And I'm trying to be a disciple. But it seems like the closer I try to follow after Jesus, the more it seems like I lose my way. And the more holes that I seem to step in. And the more times that I seem to open my mouth and insert my foot. What's going on? And the answer is self. It's why Peter says, add to your faith goodness and a goodness knowledge and he smiles and he says and add self-control because I know firsthand what it means when you can't control what yourself does I like the way Solomon paints a picture he paints a picture of a person without self-control it's in Proverbs chapter 25 and verse 28 he says a person without self-control is well it's like a city with its walls broken down I love that picture that it comes up in my mind. I see, this, I see this city and I see flames that are smoldering. I, I see individuals walking around helpless. I, I see fear. I, I picture women running and grabbing the small children as they're trying to, to get out of the way of invading armies because the walls are down. There is no protection. There is no comfort. Everything is just laid bare. Everything is laid bare, and, and it seems like that, that more and more it's just in ruins because a person without self-control is a city with broken down walls. Have you seen the effects of that in your own life? Have you seen it taking place because of choices that you have made where you have let self win out? Have you seen it in the lives of your children? Have you seen it in the lives of some of your grandchildren? Individuals that you work with, individuals that you know have made selfish choices Individuals that you know have made selfish choices where they have decided this is how I'm going to live and this is what I'm going to do and I don't care what anybody else says. I don't care how it's going to hurt me. I don't care who else it hurts in the end, but this is what I'm going to do. You see, when I see this and I read it, it says a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In my mind, I pictured the city, but in your mind, you pictured your son. You pictured your mom. You pictured your best friend. See, you've got a face of someone that's there because you know what the results are when individuals just live for self, when there is no control at all. I see a city, but you see a person. And we read where... Peter says, I want you to add self-control, and it just sounds like such an, an oxymoron, right? I mean, how in the world are we going to be able to get this self-control? How in the world are we going to be able to, to put it into our life? Maybe a better rendering, maybe some way for you to think of this as a way that a lot of Bible dictionaries translate the word that's 
translated in first or in second Peter as self-control. It's a word chastity. And it means that you're a person who is pure, a person of integrity. It means that you do not give in to the human desires. It talks about the idea of binging on food and, and drink and sex. The challenge is to be a person of morals and, and principles. It's the idea that, that there is somehow a beast that is living within us that wants to devour, that wants to somehow get out and consume everything that is going on. New Testament times had their own beast called demons. Do you remember the story in Mark chapter 5 where Jesus arrives, the area known as the Decapolis? We talked about this a month or so back, and there's a gentleman that comes to meet him too, in fact. They are possessed by demons, and it says that they live in the caves with the dead, and they, they harm themselves. They're cutting themselves. They're oozing with blood and, and sores. They're not in their right mind. They have no control of self whatsoever. The beast were in control. Several years ago, Ann Landers had advice column in newspapers all over the country. She received this letter. It said, Dear Ann, I have a problem. I'm a happily married, I am happily married to a wonderful wife. We have two children, but I have also been seeing another young lady for the past six months. My problem is that I love them both. What should I do? Sign confused. P.S. Don't give me any of that morality stuff. Here's what Anne wrote back. Dear confused, the only difference between animals and humans is morality, so I suggest you consult your local veterinarian. That's pretty good, isn't it? Here's what Ann Landers was saying. If you throw out self-control, if you falsely think that God is more concerned with your happiness than with your holiness, if you live a life that is totally without boundaries, then someday your lack of self-control will result in some serious consequences. You got to understand we're in a serious spiritual battle and the stakes are high. And so your outburst of anger, your struggles with addiction, the flings on the weekend, your binges on the business trips, these are moments, these are not just moments that you brush off and you just say, well, these are just things that are common, and this is just locker room talk, and this is just what goes on in the classroom, it's what goes on in the boardroom, it's what goes on just in our cities. These are sins that need to be confronted. Because if you do not confront them, they will get worse and worse. It doesn't get better. And when you say, I just don't know what came over me, what you're truly saying is, I lack self-control in this area. And so heed God's warnings. You know, there have been times where you've gone, Whew. man, I'm glad, nobody, I'm glad nobody was around when I said that. I'm glad my wife doesn't know what I just did. I'm, I'm glad my parents... But my parents weren't here. There's been those moments where you were, you were almost caught. Everything was almost laid bare. The city walls were coming down. But somehow you, were managed, you managed to keep it together. You managed to make sure that the damage was minimal and nobody was finding out. And you're going, whew, man, did I dodge a bullet there. Well, you look at those opportunities as moments where God has given you the chance to change the direction. It's not something where you say, wow, boy, I missed it. I don't know what came over me. It's a moment where you realize God has given me an opportunity to gain control of a life before it gets worse. 
You see, when we lose self-control, we begin deceiving ourselves, thinking, well, it's just the way that everybody acts, and it's just something that takes place. It's just something that happens. But we deceive ourselves and others, and so we hide things. And we delete the history of our internet pages. We, we hide the pills. We put the money in a separate account. And hopefully nobody will discover the truth that our walls are broken down and that we truly do lack self-control. And the way the Bible describes this, again, I love the visual picture that it has. I want you to open up um, to another passage of Scripture. Peter isn't the only person that talks about this idea of self-control. The Apostle Paul also deals with it. It's in Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7, and I want you to listen to what he says here. Because for each of us, it's a different temptation. We may desire to overstep our bounds in an arena of pride or, or grief, or maybe it's lust or apathy. The list just goes on and on. And it's just this microcosm of a battle that wages within us because of the beast that wants to be let out. Listen to Paul. He says in verse 18, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is in my flesh or in my sinful nature, he says. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Look at verse 21. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. He says, I love, I love God's law with all my heart, but there is another power within me. And it's at war with my mind. And this power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable man I am. You know, there's a movie coming out a few weeks, right? There's a movie coming out that's called Fantastic Beast. And where to find them. It's all about the Harry Potter universe. And so if you're one of these Harry Potter people, there's coming another time, another moment for you to all geek out and dress up and go to the theaters. And maybe you've been reading the books and, and you've been following along all through all the different stories. And in the original Harry Potter stories, there was a textbook that, that Harry had that dealt with this idea of fantastic beast and, and where they might be found. And so now there's this whole movie that's going to be based around a book that was in the movie, which was first a book. Are you following me? Are you keeping up? But it's all about this, this guy that he's in New York and he's got this suitcase with him. And in this suitcase, it's, it's magical. And there are, there are some beasts that are present, some good, some bad. And, and you don't want to open the suitcase. You don't want to know what is, in, what is inside. Because if what's inside gets out, well, then everything is just going to go crazy. I don't want to give it all away. I want you to go see the movie and, and give whoever that is millions of dollars that puts all that together. But I thought, you know what? I don't have to go to the movie, and neither do you, because I know where to find the fantastic beast. Do you know where they are? Right here. This is my suitcase. I carry it with me everywhere that I go, and I have for a long time. Carried it to school with me, had it with me on the playground. It made it difficult to run the relay races, but I did the best that I could. Had it with me on the ball field. Maybe that explains why I stayed on the bench most of the time. Carried it with me when I went to college. I had it with me when I stood and watched my bride walk down the aisle. 
Had it with me when I welcomed my children into the family. Had it with me when I had my first job. Had it with me when I drove my first car. That's why I drive automatics and not sticks. Had it with me each and every step that I've taken in my life because this is my suitcase. And on the inside are all of my fantastic beasts. Every single one of them. Pride and envy. Lust, apathy, anger, gluttony, all the vices. I've got some beast in here that, that you've probably heard of before, and I've got some beast in here that, that you've never heard of before because they're mine. Now, before you start to judge the preacher and before you think, I just can't believe that he carries this around with him all the time and, and has all of these things with him, you need to understand something. You also have a suitcase. And guess what? You brought it to church today. Oh, you thought you left it at home. You thought you might have left it out in the parking lot, but you didn't. You brought it right in here and the beast is sitting right beside you. Yeah, sitting right beside you. And your beast might have different names than mine, and your beast might be larger, they might be smaller, but each one of you walked in today with your very own suitcase containing your very own fantastic beast. And here's how I know. Listen again to what Paul says. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. And we skipped verse 20, but here's what it says. But if I do... What I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing it. It is the sin living in me that does it. What's he saying? It's my beast. It's my fantastic beast. They're coming out. My fantastic beasts are coming out for everybody to see. He says, I want to keep them in the suitcase and I want to keep it away so that nobody else sees it. I don't want anybody else to get hurt by what it is that they'll say, by what it is they'll do. But it's just welling up inside of me. And he says, I'm a miserable man. And some of you, you've been carrying this around all your life. And let me tell you, you're a miserable man. You're a miserable woman. Because the beasts that live within you have controlled you. Peter says, everything's been given to you for a godly life. So add to your faith self-control. But the problem is that sometimes it just seems like the beasts are too strong. That the beasts are just too strong and they're just too powerful and they just, they just overwhelm us more and more. But I want you to listen to the last part of the passage here. He says, oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Who will undo the chain so I can leave this suitcase behind, so I can leave behind all the fantastic beasts? And he says, the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. He says, there's an answer to all the fantastic beasts. There's an answer to what lives within you. There's an answer to what dominates your life. There's an answer to what is hurting your marriage right now. There's an answer to what is keeping you up late at night on the computer. There's an answer to what is keeping you from being able to put down the glass. There's an answer to what is keeping you from being able to step out and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I don't care who knows about it. Paul says the answer to your beast problem is Jesus Christ. He says that's the answer. 
It's the answer to the problem. Have you ever seen that show when animals attack? Have you seen that? It's not on as much as it was in the past, but every once in a while you can find it. It's a show where they just show video clips from petting zoos and people in their backyard and and where where animals just kind of go berserk. I mean, uh, some of it maybe isn't uh, the best viewing for young children, but others of it's pretty funny. There was this one where there was this cookout that was going on and Uncle Harry was there by the grill and, and he was grilling up some hamburgers and hot dogs and the only thing that really stood out as you looked at this and you saw Uncle Harry and you saw the kids and you saw the grilling out that was being done, the only thing that stood out that said, hey, this might not be a good situation was the pet lion mango that was laying down, I don't know, about 20 feet away from the grill. And all of a sudden in this video, mango decides, you know what? That grill is smelling pretty good. And Mango had a hard time deciding exactly, is it the grill that's smelling good or is it Uncle Harry that's smelling good? And so wild animals attacked. And then they have this, <laughs> they have this opportunity to, um, the news crew came and, and videoed the family and interviewed them. And they were like, well, we're shocked. We're shocked. We, we never thought anything like this could, could happen because mangoes never acted like that before. They're like, we don't know what happened. I'm like, I do. Uncle Harry's stupid. I mean, Uncle Harry has a, has a lion in his backyard. And he thinks that, that, that that's okay. Mango just did what lions do. He smelled something good and decided, hey, listen, it's barbecue time, Right? Do you know that's why we need divine intervention in our life? Because that's our human nature. And that human nature is an obstacle to self-control. It's why we need Christ. That's why if you've never been baptized, I want to encourage you to seriously consider being immersed. Because when you do, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. And the fruit of that Spirit, we are told in the book of Galatians, is self-control. Is self-control. Now in Galatians 5 and verse 17, it says this, the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. All right? So you understand this. The spirit of God and your beast are in conflict with each other and there is this tug of war of desires that's going on. And I love the way one author puts it. Two natures beat within my breast. One is foul, one is blessed. One I love and one I hate. The one I feed will dominate. And you say, how do I gain self-control in my life? Peter, you want me to get self-control? You want me to get self-control, but, but how do I do it? How did you do it? And what you begin to realize is that the one that you feed dominates your life. You see, after Peter had had that roller coaster existence with Jesus, you find at the end of the Gospel of John where Jesus appears to the disciples and Peter is on a boat and he's gone back to fishing. He jumps off the boat. He swims to the shore. Jesus is there. He's got some fish and they're going to have a meal together. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, do you love me? And he asks him this question three different times. And three different times, Peter says, Lord, you know I, you know I love you. And I, it's that moment where Peter, you would expect him to add to what he's saying. 
I mean, if you know about Peter, you think he's going to say, Lord, you know I love you, and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth. And Lord, I know you, and here's what I'm going to do for you. And Lord, I love you, and let's build another house. And Lord, I love you, and let's, and let's. And but here's what Peter does. He says, do you love me? And he says, yes, Lord, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. See, Peter decided that the one that he would feed in his existence, in his life, the one that would dominate him would be the Spirit of God. And from that moment on, what you see is a, it's a different type person. Then you start seeing Peter in a different light and you see the way that, that he encouraged those other disciples. You see the way that he was going about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ and how that he was welcoming others into the kingdom. Now understand, there were still moments that Peter had his issues. There were still things that came up in Peter's life and it's going to be the same for you guys. It's going to be the same for me. But here's what you do. You, you begin to feed the Spirit of God, meaning that you, you stay in the Word, meaning that you continue to be a part, oh, continue to be a part of opportunities like this, and you're, you're joining EB groups, and you're participating there, and, and you're continuing to, to, to listen to things that are going to inspire you towards love and, and good deeds. And what ends up happening in your life is that the beast never, never goes away, but your suitcase begins to get smaller. It does, it, it gets smaller, and so that's why for, for some of you, we, we hardly even recognize that you brought your suitcase today. Because you've been, you've been in the Word, and you've been worshiping, and you've been walking in the footsteps of Jesus, and, and you've been trying to be with others that will, that will bring you closer to the Lord, and it's just what takes place in your life. And you still have struggles, and there are still things that, that you deal with, but the beast that you have, it's amazing how that over time, it just gets, just gets smaller. You always will have your sinful nature with you. There will always be a beast. You'll always know where to find it. But Peter says, God's given you everything you need for a godly life. So add self-control. And what that's code for is, don't feed the beast. Feed the spirit. And if you feed the spirit, the beast gets smaller and smaller. Father, I thank you for, thank you for the opportunity to look into your word today. And I'm grateful for the challenge that you've placed before us. For like Peter, we need self-control. Too many times we are out of control. Too many times we... We make excuses for the things that we do and for the way that we behave and the priorities that we have in our life. And Father, we just need to own it and we just need to be honest and say that we've just been feeding our beast. 
And yes, we've been carrying this suitcase around and but we don't mind to open it up and we don't mind for the beast to come out and we don't mind for the hurt that it brings. And we're a city of broken down walls. So my prayer is that for us as a, as a church family, as individual disciples here today, that we would stop feeding the beast in our life and instead, Father, that we would, that we would feed your spirit. We would open ourselves up to your leading that we would get back into the word, that we would come back into community with other believers, that we would take to heart the teachings that we have heard from so long ago, that we'd put them into practice in our life, that, Father, that we would depend upon your grace and your mercy, that we would believe that we could actually be the people that you've called us to be. Father, I thank you for giving us your spirit so that the beast might be controlled. Just like Paul, we, we have those opportunities where we want to do right and we don't. We, the things that we strive to do don't get done. And we feel miserable. I pray that as we sing together, I pray that we would feel your comfort, that we would feel your peace, that we would be brought close to you that we would be re-energized, knowing that we do not have to continue this wretched existence of allowing the beast to win out. But there is hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's because of him that we have come to worship. And it's through him that we pray for self-control. Amen. David, I know you've got another song that you want to lead us in. And maybe you'd like to come this morning saying, you know what, I need the self-control. And I just need to own up to the fact that my beasts have controlled my life. Don't be ashamed. Join Peter. Join Paul. Join your preacher. Bring your suitcase. And let the Spirit tame the beast. Let's stand and sing.